All right, Exodus 9, uh, starting in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand in this, to the sky so that the hail will fall over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the field of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. I want to point a couple things out to you. Um, we're going to develop a pattern in the stories I read to you today. And that pattern is simply this. It's illustrated by this, but we're going to see some other examples of it too. And that is simply this. The Lord asks or gives a specific request of his people. That's the first part of the pattern. The second part is that person obeys or walks in obedience to that request. And the third part that you're oftentimes going to see in a lot of these stories is you're going to see that there is a sacrifice. There's something that is offered along with that obedience. And then the last part is the Lord does as he promised. Immediately. So that's the pattern we're going to, we're going to look at today throughout the scriptures. Now I could probably teach for maybe 12 hours straight and still not begin to scratch the surface of the examples of this pattern in the Bible. This is not like, you know, the writer of this particular book just was a little off that day, you know, and the Lord was inspiring them and speaking to them and they just, they just had a bad day and just decided to put a story in that doesn't seem to connect with the rest of the Bible. It's not like one of those, even though there's really none of those in the Bible. But there's some things in the Bible that we read that seem to be alone. Seem to be alone. This is not alone in its pattern. This is a pattern that's repeated over and over and over again in the word of God. The Lord has a specific request. Not a general request. Not like, hey, just you know, go to church more. Or, hey, say some more prayers. Or hey, this or hey, that. Some sort of just spiritual general request. He gives them specific instructions and in this case, he tells Moses, stretch, he says, stretch out your hand towards the sky. So what does Moses do? Stretches out his hand towards the sky. Real simple. Here's what I want you to do. And Moses does it. And then we see God respond and do, do as he promised. He said, if you stretch your hand out, I'm going to do this. Moses stretches his hands out. God does it. Let's, look, let's go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 9, again, verse 23. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. How many of you know what the tent of meeting is, what we're talking about here? This is the tabernacle of Moses. This is the tabernacle. Now, you can read, I think there's about three chapters in Leviticus that specifically, I think it's in Leviticus, that specifically spell out the way the tabernacle was supposed to be built. Now, I taught for four years on the tabernacle of Moses, and I barely scratched the surface of the details that God gave regarding the tabernacle. He told them how many tent pegs to use. He told them what they should be made of. He told them what colors they should use, how many layers of cloth they should use, how big it should be, how tall it should be, how wide it should be. He told them what wood the ark should be made of, what it should be coated with, what should be inside of it. He told them what order it should be laid out. He told them everything down to the materials, the dimensions, the details, the order, the placement 
of the tabernacle of Moses, that tabernacle that Moses built. Everything that you could possibly describe to get that right, he gave those instructions to Moses. And Moses saw it built and oversaw it being built to those specifications. So once again, God gives a specific request to Moses. Build this, this way. Verse 24, then fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and felt face down. I want you to see the connection here. God gives Moses a, a specific request. He says, build a temple, build a tabernacle, build a place where my presence can reside. He didn't say, I'll leave the details up to you. Just, you know, whatever you think is good, do it. Hey, whatever. He said, this is what I want you to do. How many of you know that God can be that specific with you? How many would say to me, I know there's times in my life where God gave me specific instructions. And so this is what happens. Moses gets specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And Moses and Aaron, they specifically see to it that it's built that way. And then you're going to find out that then they offered the sacrifices that God asked to be offered there up on the altar. And they burned the type of incense that God asked them to burn. And they designed that bronze laver, that wash pan, that wash tub, that altar there, so that the priest could wash after they, after they, uh, uh, they gave up the sacrifice on the altar. They built everything the way God told them to, and they provided the sacrifice to go along with their obedience. And when the combination of their sacrifice met the obedience to God's specific request, the Bible says that the presence of God fell like fire. And fire, to me and you today, represents revival. God brought fire down, and his presence stayed inside the Holy of Holies, that inner court. He stayed inside the, the uh, sorry, the Holy of Holies. He, the presence of God stayed there, right there, and rested on top of the ark for, for a long, long time. So I want you to see the connection. Specific request from God. Obedience to that request. Specific request. Sacrifice along with that obedience, and the immediate fire from heaven and presence from God comes down. You tracking with me? If you're not, shake your head this way. You have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, there's three of you. Okay. Let's move to First Chronicles 21. This is my main text I want to grab a hold of and shake a little bit, see what kind of truths we can get to fall from the tree here. When the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah, the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoke. I am ahead of myself. Let's go back. Verse 14. Sorry. Verse 14. Stupid computer. I'm just feeling like oranges today, not so much apples, okay? 
so the Lord sent a plague on Israel. This is First Chronicles 21, 14. The Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Well, that's uplifting. Well, thanks for coming today. We'll leave it at that. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. Well, that's sweet. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster, said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand. So you're going to find out that David, David messed up. David got ahead of God and David didn't trust him. And I don't have time to go through the whole text, but David didn't trust God. He got ahead of God and God gets upset and is now punishing the people. And he sends an angel of the Lord down who is, sl who is slaying. By the way, that's not this kind of slay. Okay. We're not talking about that. He is literally killing the people there in Jerusalem. Now I assume if this angel was killing people that he wasn't a wimpy angel. I'm sure he was mighty and tall and he was a warrior and had a giant sword and he was doing the bidding of God because of this mistake that David and his leadership had made. The angel Lord said was standing at the threshing floor. David looked up. He saw the elder David and the elder, the angel David and the elders clothed in sackcloth. They fell face down. Verse 17. David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand follow me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Now, I want to just, I want to just for a second here, before we move on to this text, I want you to kind of get a hold of what's happening here. David did not trust God that they were going to win the battle that they were fighting. He got ahead of God, and he did what God asked him not to do. David switched from a mode of spiritual faith and trust to the carnal, I'm going to make sure everything's going to be okay. This has to add up in order for me to move forward. And folks, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get uh, too off track here, but I want to tell you this. The global church, especially the Western church that we live in, has stopped trusting God. And if it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't add up in our minds, then we don't move forward. Even when God has said, if you take this step, I'm going to provide for you. If you're obedient to my request, if you do what I've asked you to do, if you provide a sacrifice with your obedience, I will come and visit you. Even when God has promised us that, if it hasn't made sense to us, We've allowed logic to talk ourselves out of a lot of moves of God. Or Pastor Dan, do you think we should just run around foolishly and just, just, just foolishly just throw money away or do this or do that or just with the changing winds? No. But when God says something and makes a specific request and asks us to be obedient, we have to step into that obedience and bring our sacrifice with us because that means he wants to move and come down. And David finds himself not just with God not residing there, not just with the fact that God is not with them, but he finds himself watching his own people be slaughtered because of his decision. He, he's watching his people be slaughtered because he decided to not trust God when God asked him to do something. 
thank God for Jesus, we're not being slaughtered for our bad decisions, right? But I want you to think about how many dreams and opportunities for revival we've seen in America, in our state, in our city, that we have forfeited because it didn't make sense. It didn't add up. Then the angel of the Lord in verse 18 ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that God had spoken in the name of the Lord. The question is this. If we haven't been obedient, is it too late to be obedient? Because the Lord said, if you count these men, there's going to be a penalty to pay. And he sent his angel down, and the angel of the Lord was in the middle of doing what God said the angel of the Lord was going to do. And because David had a change of mind in a moment and said, you know what, Lord, I want to know what you want us to do, and I will be obedient this time. God called the angel of the Lord back. So this actually says that he withdrew his hand. He withdrew the sword. Verse 21, verse 20. 19. So David went up in obedience to the word that God had spoken in the name of the Lord. Verse 20. While Araunah was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. That's how we know the angel was scary. Then David approached, and when Araunah looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. Then what you may or may not know here is that this man's name actually means Lord or King. And scholars believe that he was um, the king of the Jebusites in Jerusalem at the time. This was not just some, some slave or servant. He actually had authority. He was actually important. He was an aristocrat. He was a king. He was a leader. His name means Lord or leader. And we find here that he bows down before David. Now, this, this is a turn of events here, folks. You go from your people being slaughtered and God really mad, really, really mad to see his own, you know, his, his own people being destroyed because of your disobedience. In a moment's notice, we find out that the angel has withdrawn the sword. Are you ready for me? Listen to this for a second. And the angel of the Lord has withdrawn the sword. And we find that the guy who's the king of the Jebusites of these people, who you're, you, who is now bowing down before you. And what happens is, David says, I want to buy your threshing floor because I want to build the altar and be obedient to the specific request God gave me. And this guy says, this king here, this, this, this leader, this aristocrat says, you know what? I, he was so moved by the connection with David's obedience to God's specific request, that he says, you know what? Take the threshing floor. You can have it. And while you're at it, I'll give you everything you need to build your altar. Oh, and while you're at it, I'll give you the sacrifice to put on the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but being that we have a little bit of that charismatic Pentecostal thing going on, 
I would have been like, thank you, Jesus. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, I took one step of obedience and you provided the rest. Now, don't be lying. You'd have done the same thing. You mean I get to be obedient and I don't have to provide all the stuff for the altar? But, oh, yes, Lord. This is you. Only you can make this happen. But David got something. This is, what, this is what happens. He said, no, I insist on paying full price. Verse 24, I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. He says, I'm not going to take it because I realize it's not enough just to be obedient. I'm going to say that again. He says, I'm not going to take it because it's not enough to be obedient. If I want God to show up now, I have to match my obedience to his specific request with a sacrifice that costs me something. Thank you, Mama. Thank you. It is good preaching. Because we've been obedient at times, not always, but when it comes time to match a sacrifice with our obedience, that's where most of us get a little squirmish. Hey, the, I, I saw people sacrifice this week like you can't believe, and I'm not preaching this to, to this isn't a spanking in any way, shape, or form. I want to encourage you that if you have a desire to see God come, this is how we can see him come. This is how we can see the fire of revival fall and see salvation reach our city and see God's presence reside here. I'm trying to show you the path that the scriptures have given us over and over and over again. But I saw incredible sacrifice this week from some of our own here. Mr. Tucker, who was in the first service, worked, I don't even know how many hours, but more than I probably even want to count. Out in the cold with a bunch of Harvest House men who, who guys, we can't say thank you enough. If, if you're one of the men here that helped us on one of the nights or mornings park, will you just stand up so we can give you a round of applause? Come on, let's thank these guys. Wow. And if you're, if you're one of the ladies in our Harvest House program that helped us this week through serving or whatever, will you stand up so we can give you a round of applause too? Come on. Let's thank these ladies. Wow. And, and if you're a church member here and you helped this week, which so many of you did, and our staff that worked a tremendous amount of hours, you too, will you please stand up so we can give you a round of applause? Come on, let's, let's thank them too. And I've run out of categories for the rest of you. No thank you, all right? Just kidding. So David sees the specific request from God. He matches his obedience with a sacrifice and provides it in this moment. And this is what happens. David built an altar there. Verse 26. And he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. Then the Lord spoke to the angel, and he put his sword back in the sheath. Just going to drink my water and let that sink in.
Folks, we pray for shifted culture. We preach about shifting culture, transforming our city. We sing songs about the fire of God falling. We sing songs about how the fire never sleeps and Lord set me on fire. We pray prayers. And we do all of that in obedience to the Lord. But if you want to shift culture and you want to see the fire of God fall, or if you want to see revival, if you want to see his presence come, if you really want to see it beyond just singing a song, and I'm all about setting the atmosphere in worship. I believe it's important because worship positions our heart for what God wants to do, and it's very valuable, but it's not enough. It's not enough to sing a song about it if we're not obedient in sacrifice in the moment that God's provided. And if you want to shift culture, we have to listen. You have to listen to the voice of God for your life and the request that he's made to you, and you need to answer it, and I need to answer it for my life, both in obedience and sacrifice. Because there's something about obedience and sacrifice that doesn't just, you know, we, we preach sermons on the timing of the Lord. I've been waiting for 20 years for God to just answer my prayer. But it's just his timing, and we make you feel better because it's been a really long time since the promise of God hasn't come true in your life. And so we just want to make sure you haven't given up. And We preach messages on the timing of God, and that's wonderful, and there's scriptural basis for all that. But there's something about sacrifice and obedience that brings an immediate response from heaven. And I don't know about you, I'm tired of the waiting around on God's stuff. I want an immediate response from heaven. And when there's examples in the Bible that give us an immediate response from heaven where the fire of God falls and we see his presence reside, I want to tap into that model. I don't want to tap into the 20 years waiting around for God model. I want to tap into the right now, this very moment, presence of fire of God fall moment the template here. You know what I mean? I want to walk into that. I don't know about you. That's... that's uh, uh, that's, I mean, I serve God and I love him. And if he wants to wait a while, that's fine. But when I find an example in the Bible over and over and over again, where two things come together and God responds in that moment immediately, there's not any amount of time worth even noting in the scriptures for these stories where the person is obedient, offers a sacrifice and God comes down. This is the, this is the cherry on top of the Sunday. This, 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 this threshing floor was on top of a mountain. It was at the peak of the mountain of Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah means this. It means ordained or considered of the Lord. And the way that ordained is used here, and I'm going to try to stay in my skin because we're running out of time. But the way that ordained is used here in this scripture, listen to this. This is... you. We got to get a hold of this and grab a hold of this. It's used in this way. It means to invest officially with a priestly authority. Let me tie this together for you. Are you ready? Hopefully I can remember it all. God invested ahead of time with his priestly authority into that peak, into that place, into that moment 
in that threshing floor. He had already invested in it and was waiting on somebody to step up and be obedient and bring a sacrifice so that he could respond. (laughs) I can't. God had already set the table and, and, and invested. That's what it means here. Literally, word for it says to invest officially. To invest officially with priestly authority. That spot, that moment, maybe it's that city. Come on, that month, that week. He invested ahead of time and had already prepared the way for someone to bring obedience and sacrifice together so he could respond. You say, why is God's respond immediately? Because he's already invested and is waiting on somebody to step up. He's waiting. You say, well, how do I know? It? How do I know if this is really worth it? How do I know if this is when the time that I should really make an investment and sacrifice in my own life? How do I know? Because God has already preordained. He has set the table and he's already invested of himself into that place and he's waiting on earth to respond to heaven's investment. And I want to just, I want to just take all of this and bring it to right now. Over 30 local pastors joined together on Friday to evaluate what happened in the last week. And I don't use that term in a derogatory way. To hear from God. Let me tell you what happened. It was interesting, right? (laughs) A, A gentleman who may be here today, who's from Indiana, was out on the beach and had no idea why or what he was doing when he did this. But he wrote a number on the beach. He wrote the numbers 440. He had a four, and he had a four and a zero. And he wrote it in the sand. And he came up to one of the, 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 the guy that's ahead of their meeting, and he said, take a picture of this. What? No, one of the guys from Indiana wrote it on the, and he said, and so, so he said, he came to one of the media guys, and he said, hey, come take a picture of this. Now, I know the media guy, and he's really funny. He's kind of like me, a little bit cynical, and he was kind of like, I, I, I'm not going to go get my camera to take a picture of some numbers you drew in the sand. And he said, I've got my phone with me. Is that good enough? So he took a picture of the numbers in the sand with his phone and didn't think anything of it. And all he did was go back and tell Kyle, who's the gentleman that leads Revive, uh, Time to Revive and Revive Florida, the one that's uh, that been helping us. And he told Kyle, here's the picture. I don't know what it means, but here you go. They literally pushed that aside and went on and just thought it was just something weird. Later that night, Kyle got a text from a mom. Meanwhile, Kyle had been preaching about visions and dreams. And no matter what age you are, you can hear the voice of God. And young Jaden, an eight-year-old boy, that night told his mom this. The only two people that knew about this was were Kyle and Rich. He got, he got a text and he said, I just wanted to tell you this and I don't know what it means. He said Jaden had a dream or a vision. And he said he saw, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but I, the main part I've got right. He says he saw ministers and pastors 
going through an opening in the clouds on the beach. He had this vision on the beach. He said, I saw ministers coming to and fro in this opening in the sky. And he said this. He said those ministers are going to do that for four weeks and 40 states. That was the number in the sand, 440. Now you think that's weird. That's fine. But sometimes we're so pig-headed and thick-headed that the Lord has to literally write it in the sand for us and then confirm it through an eight-year-old boy because us adults think too much, and we wouldn't allow that to pass through us. Now, either that eight-year-old boy is a maniacal con man or God spoke through him to confirm what this number meant in the sand, and this is what the pastors believe together. This is not a one man or one woman in ministry. Over 30 pastors, 12 of which said we are all in 100% with our churches and congregations. This is what they believe. They believe that this revival should last four weeks. We've already had one week down, three more weeks. Four weeks, and they believe by the end our goal should be to have 40 churches who are like states, and together we're a nation, the kingdom of God. 40 churches that have come together and united to see Jesus reach our streets. Now we've got 12 officially that made a public declaration the other night. 12. So the next three weeks, we're believing for 40 churches. That means pastors that are communicating on a regular basis, that are joining and locking arms together, that are taking down their denominational lines and their theology, their intricate theologies that maybe don't match up exactly, and together believing that our city is better knowing Jesus than not. Come on, that's crazy exciting. So what this looks like for us is we have to be obedient and you have to be obedient. And it's going to require, it's going to require this. If we really want to see Jesus come and fall like fire and his presence come. I I can't tell you what the other churches are preaching this morning. But I know what we're responsible for here as, as a body. And this is what it's going to take. It's going to take your obedience for what God speaks to you specifically, matched up with sacrifice, something that costs you something, time, money, something that costs you something, energy. It's going to take those two things because I'm going to tell you this right now. If God hasn't made it perfectly clear that he has invested and ordained and commissioned this city, these counties, this time, and this place for right now. And if we miss, if we leave the threshing floor on top of Mount Moriah empty and never build an altar there and never bring obedience and sacrifice, we won't see the presence of God fall the way God really wants to come. And folks, we waste the investment of heaven when earth doesn't respond through our lives. And there is an investment waiting to be tapped into with our obedience and our sacrifice. And it's really simple. You have to give something. You have to give. The reality is we had maybe 10% last week of our congregation that gave. But because of that, they gave so much. Some of them are sick. They're exhausted beyond measure. You could tell Nancy was exhausted. That was only halfway through the week in the video because she couldn't even say the words. That's 
the reality. And, the, it, and it would look so much healthier, and we would get such a better uh, response in what God wants to do here if, if we joined together as the body of Christ, not 10% of us. You hear me? This is, I have children, bring them. I have a business. You know what? Business people are paying their people to come here, shutting down their shops because they believe it's worth the sacrifice. I have a job. Listen, we're here or, or somewhere in town, either ministering or being trained from 8 in the morning or whatever till 9 at night every day, Monday through Saturday. You have a day off, take all of it, some of it, whatever. Come volunteer, be a part. I'm going to give you three opportunities to be a part right now. I'm going to give you three opportunities to be a part right now. I want you, when I, when I list these things, I want you to ask God specifically, Lord, are you specifically asking me to do one of them? Or two of them, or three of them. And then I want you to respond with sacrifice. Everyone's like, what is he going to ask us to do? I want to encourage you parents who have children. Your children will be so much better at this than you and anybody else. The kids are the best at sharing this. The way that they teach you to share, they're unbelievable. My daughter, I want to encourage you parents in this. My daughter, Lainey, who normally in those types of situations is timid. She won't even say her name loud enough for the people to hear. In 20 minutes on a ride from her school to here, I taught her how we do this. It's very specific. It opens up with finding out who the person is and saying, is there anything we can pray for you about? Or how can I pray for you? I taught her it. I taught her the little band. How many of you have the bands on? Yeah, there you go. Folks around you. You see those little bands? And that band corresponds with the Bible. And my daughter walked up to a woman in the laundromat across the street. I, well, I walked up officially, you know, as the great man of God to deliver this powerful opportunity for her to change her life. And she looked at me and said, uh, it's okay, I'm Hindu. So I believe that your path is good for you, but my path is good for me. So she said, thank you. It's really nice meeting you. Well, I was done with her at that point. You don't want to hear me? Then go on. But my daughter was determined, and she said, well, that's, that's great. How can I pray for you? And she says, well, honey, I don't believe in the same thing you believe in. She says, I believe in some of the things you believe in, but I don't believe in all of it. She says, she says, I believe in Jesus, but I believe he was a reincarnate of Vishnu or something like that. And she says, so it's okay what you believe, sweetheart. And she's being real patronizing to Lane, you know, what you believe, sweetheart, is, I mean, in a nice way. She said, what you believe is okay for you. But what I believe, I feel like is okay for me. And my daughter said, how can I pray for you? She said, well, how about we pray for world peace? My daughter's like, okay. So we joined hand and we prayed for world peace. That simple. And then my daughter said, can I give you this band? Which has the Romans road on it. So she put the band on. And then my daughter said, hey, can I show you what those colors mean? She pulled out the Bible, 
And she was so excited. I told her, we let the people read the Bible. We let the people read the scriptures. Some of them have never read the Bible before. So we ask them to read. We say, turn to the yellow tab. And they turn to the yellow tab. All the wages of sin. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That's it. They read that out loud. So Lenny says, so what do you, do, what do you think that means? So they had that conversation, and then we turned to the black one, the black tab, which represents death, and it's for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. She says, what do you think that means? And then we did love, and then we did faith, and then we did life. And at the end of it, my daughter said, can I give you this Bible? Now, parents, I want to tell you this. No one's going to turn your children down. They will turn you down. They will not turn your children down. So at this point, I'm like, I'm outranked here. She gives her the Bible. I have the picture. I'm a terrible, terrible pastor because I was going to send it to you in the back. But she said to my daughter, if you'll write, if you'll write in the Bible and dedicate it to me on the front cover, She said, I'll read it every day. So you can't see it here, but in my daughter's writing, you can probably see it there. It says, to Tracy Lynn from Mulaney and Dan Minor. From a Hindu woman in the laundromat and an eight-year-old was willing to step outside of her box and be obedient to the Lord and respond with sacrifice. I know it's, it's late, but I, I just believe this is an important moment for our church. And I just want to tell you one more story, and then I'm going to ask you to, to jump in. We have Mennonite, Mennonite families that are coming every night, every day, sharing the gospel. I'm not talking about the undercover Mennonites. We got some undercover Mennonites here. We don't know you're Mennonite, but you are. You know what I mean? I'm talking about the real deal. And without being culturally insensitive, you know what I mean? And there's a Mennonite family, wonderful family, who are radical for Jesus, but come from a very conservative Orthodox background that were here, and their 9- or 10-year-old boy gave a testimony after they had gone out in the morning and prayed for churches and the night before, Kyle had preached about visions and dreams. Folks, this is, when Mennonites are having visions and dreams, and we're the ones supposed to be known for the visions and dreams, and we're sitting here going, Wah. come on, something's going on. And then an eight- or nine-year-old boy gets up very quietly and timidly and gives a testimony, and he says, I mean, he's got the normal clothes that they wear and just wonderful, pure-hearted, just amazing. And he gets up there and he says, we were on our way to this church and I had a vision that there was like this like dragon or something like that, but something that was just, that didn't look, it was evil looking and it had put its claws into our van and it was trying to hold us back from actually getting to the church and praying for this church. And she said, he said, but we just kept on going and we kept on going. You might think that's a silly vision, but I'm telling you, folks, God is speaking 
to 10, nine-year-old Mennonite boys. God is speaking to eight-year-old girls. God is speaking to, to men out on the beach. God is speaking, and this is the moment that he's invested into and ordained, and you just have to match it with your obedience and your sacrifice, and you're going to see the fire of God and his presence and revival fall now. If you step up to bat right now, and you fulfill your commitment this week, by Sunday next week, I'm going to be standing around going, told you. And I would love nothing more than to say told you next week. 